My mother was a woman of tremendous integrity. My mother was curious, sensitive, compassionate, honest, always there for us, unflappable, loyal, complicated. She is devoted, resilient, dazzling, giving, vivacious, extraordinary. Maria, what is the one word that you would use to describe your mother? I'd say abundant. She just had so much joy and warmth and good humor and ease with all of us. So yeah, abundant. And welcome to Our Mothers Ourselves, a weekly conversation about one extraordinary mother. I'm Katie Hafner, and I'm your host. I have a friend named Maria Stark. In 2005, Maria co-founded Emerge America. It's an organization that trains Democratic women to run for public office. Emerge has really taken off. In 2018, a good number of the seats that switched to Democrats were won by Emerge alums. But that's not why I asked Maria to talk to me today. For as long as I've known Maria... I've been struck by the admiring way that she has always talked about her mother, Helen Stark. Helen raised nine children, and she did something pretty remarkable. Somehow, Helen managed to make each one of those nine kids think that they were her favorite. So I asked Maria to join me to dig a little bit into how her mother managed to pull that off all while living with a debilitating lung condition that she had since childhood. Maria, thank you so much for joining me to talk about your mother. Well, it's so nice to join you, Katie, because my mother is really one of my favorite things to talk about. One of the reasons I decided to start this podcast in the first place was, of course, to serve as a distraction and something very good and warm-hearted during these completely crazy times, but also to highlight some really rich mother stories. And years and years ago, You showed me a tribute that you had written to your mom, and I had no idea that you adored her as much as as you did, and I'm assuming did right up until the day she died. Oh, absolutely. So, Maria, I'm wondering if you would read me um, a little bit of that tribute that you wrote to your mom. I I guess she was in her 80s when you wrote it. just to give us a sense of of how deep your your love for her was. I'd be happy to. My feelings about my mother are surprisingly uncomplicated. I've always been smitten by her. I think of her as the mythical mother, the holy grail of mothers. It's not anything she says. She doesn't buy things or do things to show her love. She doesn't reach out to her children. We all know that she's there for us when we need her and she doesn't want to interrupt our busy lives. But she manages her children's affection with what we call the buzz, that unalloyed delight in her voice when she knows it's you. It's what keeps us calling. 
I haven't done this yet on the podcast, but I thought I would throw this little pop quiz at you. To use one word to describe your mother, what would it be? Well, you know, um, I've been at one of your book readings where you asked that of the audience. And for me, I remember at the time, the first word that came to mind was abundant. Mm. And I think my mother had, well, she had nine children. And all of us thought we were her favorite child. And I think that speaks to an abundance of warmth, love, maturity, great abundance. So she had nine children. Yes, she had nine children. Over a span of how many years? Not that many. Um, Over a span of 15 years. She had six children within seven years. Oh my God. She was constantly pregnant. Basically. So there were no accidents. It sounds like it was all very intentional. It was very intentional. And actually, after my parents had both passed away, we found this funny letter that my dad had written to my mother when my mom was pregnant with number four. And it says, Helen, we really should stop at four. And it wasn't that long of a letter. That was the point of the letter. (laughs) It didn't want any more kids. And we found this um, the summer after my mother had passed away. And uh, we, we just laughed so hard. We just couldn't believe it that, you know, he was making his plea to her. And uh, somehow that did not come to be. So what, starting in what year did she have the kids, start having the kids? Her children spanned the era of the baby boom. Basically, her first child was born in 1948. And I'm the youngest of her children, and I was born in 63. So we were all born between those years, almost the exact years of the baby boom. Did she grow up in a big family? She grew up in a medium-sized family. She was the youngest of four children. Um, She had it pretty easy, although she had really serious asthma as a child. And, you know, medicine wasn't that far along in understanding how to treat children with asthma. But then she had pneumonia as a teenager and lost about half of her lung capacity and uh, through scar tissue. So I assume your mom did go to college. Yes, she did go to college. And for her first year, there were lots of men and women. After that, the men went off to the war and she continued. And then she went to grad school to study education at Penn. Hmm. So she was a smart woman. She was also very social. Her nickname was Dimples. What? Dimples. (laughs) Yeah. And then how did she meet your dad? They, um, my dad was in med school at Jefferson in Philadelphia, and they met at some dance. Uh, They got married in what year? So they would have gotten married in probably 46 or 47. Okay. And, And then... They moved to Arizona to um, the San Carlos Apache Reservation, where my dad was the only physician on the reservation. This is a reservation north of Tucson, Arizona. Oh, wow. Did he do that as a, was it a calling or did he do that? Was he obligated to do that somehow? He was obligated because the army had put my dad through college and med school. And so all those physicians owed two years of 
their time. Mm-hmm. And he chose that because of my mom's lungs. Like there were some options and he wanted something dry. He chose it for your mom's health? Yeah, exactly. And it really did turn out to be a bonanza for her health because it was dry and warm. And um, so they stayed in Arizona for the rest of their lives. Was she the kind of mom who would, after you got home from school, uh, greet you with a plate of cookies? Was she that kind of mom? I, I'm, I'm actually asking that question in kind of more of a metaphorical sense. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, she, I mean, she would certainly greet you if, you know, she'd certainly be happy to see you. But, you know, she wasn't, my mother's view was everybody can do their own thing except for dinner. And dinner was something that, you know, she prepared dinner, but everybody else had to do and prepare their own breakfast and lunch. And she also gave each kid a wicker basket at age six at which point you had to do your own laundry. And, um, you know, so she did offload a lot of work onto us as children. Age six? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And apparently one of her favorite stories is that I came home when I was in third grade, very indignant that I was the only child that had to do my own laundry. Oh my gosh. So was it a source of shame? No, it was... Uh, I, I I wanted her. I wanted to see if that would persuade her to do my my laundry, but she was she was like, "You're fine," <laughs> you know, like this is this is the way it is. So she would show you how to do it, and then say, um, "Knock yourself out." Exactly. And how do you think she set you up to become the the sunny, happy adult that your friends know you to be? Well, I think some of that yeah, you're just born with that I definitely inherited her good nature and her low level of anxiety. Um, and, and in addition, she modeled such positive framing and positive behavior that, you know, I kind of got it both ways. Uh, and so you went on to start a very important organization, uh, Emerge America, which by the way, thank you very much, Maria, for doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, in, it started out as a way to encourage women to run for office um, at all levels. Mm-hmm. And uh, how did your, how did you, what did your mother think of, of that? So my mother was not nearly as political as I was, um, but uh, she loved it. She loved, and, and, and she was proud of me, and she... She thought that it was my way of, you know, so I was unable to have children myself. And, um, you know, so I think she saw it as my way of nurturing others because that's a, a deep, uh, a deep seated need of mine. Um, and so I think she viewed it in those terms and thought it was great. Mm. Uh, and what were her politics? So both of my parents were Republicans and, um, Basically. And you're not, you're not. <laughs> I'm definitely not, no. And um, they, my mother became, she she was going to vote for Hillary Clinton in the 16 election and she didn't quite, she passed away um, about a year before that, but she definitively had changed sides at that point. I would say she she was raised Catholic and 
while I don't think her Catholicism was super central to her identity, she was a, a moderate. Okay, so she was raised Catholic. So I'm assuming she didn't use birth control? Definitely not. I mean, well, considering the results. Right. And and did she um did she approve of her kids using birth control? Oh, I think so. I mean, she often said that if she had been born 10 years later, she would have had two kids and been a lawyer. So I'm sure she was fine with that. That's very interesting. She said that if she had been born 10 years later, she would have had two kids and been a lawyer. And did she ever say that? Like, and I wish I had? Um, I mean, I think she was very, she was very happy with having kids that, you know, delighted in her so much. So I don't think she regrets that, but I do think she still had the perspective that she wouldn't have done that. She would have chosen a very different life had she been born just, you know, a mere decade later. Let's uh, dial back for one sec to something that you said earlier about how your mother managed somehow with nine children to make all of you feel like you were her favorite. So how do you, how do you think she pulled that off? Well, we all definitely felt like she was a unicorn of a human being. Um, but I think that she there was a method to her madness, and it was that she was always available when you wanted her. But she, you know, she didn't need you. Like like her emotional well being was so already set and she was just happy and calm and stable in herself that all she, you know, she could just be available to everybody else. When my father passed away in the hospital, um, I just remember, you know, he died on the morning of their 47th wedding anniversary. And Mm. I came into the hospital room and she I mean, she just had this look on her face like all that mattered was trying to help me feel okay about my dad having passed away. It it wasn't really her own thoughts about her own feelings about her her husband. Like, you know, she still just could extend herself and like so focused on me as I walked into that room. You know, so it's whenever you wanted to sit down and talk, with her, she would always just clear everything and just be zoomed in on you and 100% paying attention to you as if that was like her favorite place to be in the whole wide world. With nine of you there, I mean, you'd all be wanting to have these one-on-ones with her so that she could be there to um, make you feel as if you were the only person on the planet, but it's just, it's, it's sounding a little, little too idyllic. I know. I think part of it was that, you know, that, that, that she had so much time for all of us was really just an illusion. An illusion? Yeah. It's almost impossible that she truly had all this time for all of us, but I think it speaks to her ability to listen so well when we did want her attention, that it was, mm-hmm. that it was deeply satisfying. I wonder how she did pull that off. We, as siblings, have talked about this for decades. <laughs> like, how did she do that? But, like, none of us remember being competitive with each other for her attention. 
I think part of it was that she was not judgmental. She was very accepting. And so as a child, you just felt, and even as an adult, you felt really listened to. And I think, you know, that's what almost everybody wants. And it sounds like she got that from her parents who might have gotten that from their parents, this this intergenerational um, cycle. Yeah. Did she ever talk about how her parents were role models or her mother was a role model? You know, she didn't talk about it that much, but I, I, it was very clear that she had really fond feelings about her own mother. Like, I just remember one time asking her if she missed her mother and you know, my mother didn't cry very much. Uh, again, that was part of not trying, trying not to trigger an asthma attack. And her eyes just, you know, teared up instantly and, you know, just veered off that topic. So there, it sounds like there were some things you just didn't talk about. There were some things we didn't, well, we didn't talk about, um, uh, you know, from a very intense emotional um, place. But... I grew to understand it as her way of managing her health. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, that her health was that big of a factor that it shaped her being. Absolutely. I remember when I was like nine years old, going to a doctor appointment with her, and she was supposed to blow into this air balloon, which showed your lung volume. And she was blowing as hard as she could, and it didn't even move. She could she could not exhale enough to move it at all. And what did you what did you understand as a nine year old? What was going on? Oh, just that her health was fragile. Just to interrupt you for a sec, she was a teacher of what and who? Oh, so she she actually taught sixth grade, and so then she kept working for a while then she stopped working and was basically pregnant for years well you know what's interesting is for people who have really bad lungs um at least according to my mother um being pregnant was it was easy to breathe so it was easy to breathe easier to breathe when you're pregnant is that what you're saying for her yeah because why is there a real physiological reason yeah you have i think you have more blood volume that helps you helps your lungs um, but you know, this is my mother's lungs were so compromised. She was she only had breathing in the in the twenties, like like twenty eight percent or so of lung normal lung capacity. And actually, I think that's a really interesting and relevant point about my mother's um, emotional well being and self regulation was that because. Like, you know, having an asthma attack was such a serious issue for her that she very early, I think, in her life learned to regulate her emotions and sense of them at almost neutral. Like she was fine being neutral, but she was very, it was very rare to see her allow herself be upset about much of anything. And um, we used to think that was really weird, um, but we over time came to understand that as a really positive adaptive um, skill that helped her choose her responses instead of react in the moment. And I think that was 
a very profound part of why she was such a you know, accepting, loving, caring adult. Explain that to me a little better. Yes. Okay. I think that um, in her case, her poor health um, and her desire to breathe well meant that she really uh, was careful about not getting upset. And, um, and in fact, she was really skilled and disciplined about choosing a positive reaction to pretty much everything that happened in, in life. You know, that skill is really valuable. I mean, not obviously as a parent, it's an incredible skill. Um, but in life, it's an important skill to learn. And she really modeled that for us, that you can choose how you respond to whatever happens around you. Mm-hmm. And um, in her case, she always chose the most positive response possible. Mm. Wow, that's amazing. Um, it sounds from the way you're describing it that she didn't do this in a, I'm a martyr, it's okay, I'll, I'll just sit in the dark kind of way. <laughs> no. Yeah, she did not ever have a victim mentality. And she did not complain about her pretty severe um, uh, health constraints. You know, not being able to breathe well is a pretty big constraint. Do, do a lot of people hear about your mom and say to you, I wish I'd had that mom? Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and certainly all my friends, you know, in ch- from childhood that um, knew her, we all talked about how we wanted to be more like her. And one time, like 10, 15 years ago, I actually tried to codify what it would mean to be more like her. And that at New Year's every year, we'd give ourselves a grade from zero to a hundred, a hundred being Helen, my mother, you know, how'd you score last year and how are you going to do better next year? You know, the, the elements of the score were things like, were you inspiring love, joy, and connection 24 <laughs> seven and score yourself? And, uh, you know, were you being emotionally available and non-judgmental to the people around you you know you give yourself a score things like that and um and so i had friends that wanted to be part of this new year's scoring club is it there's a name for it the helen score what's your helen score well so it was the helenometer for my friends we we called it the mama meter for you know the kids but um you know it was really about how can any person be more like my mother? I think it's indicative of what an extraordinary mother she was, that nine kids and not one of the kids went through a rebellious period against her. Do you know how lucky you are to have had her as a mother? We were all just madly in love with her, all of us. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I do know how lucky I am. Sometimes I even feel bad about it because it just feels unfair but yeah my mother was she was um you know the one in a million and i do wish you know more people could you know try to learn from 
what a great example she was able to lay out for everyone. Maria, thank you so much for talking to me about your mom. I'm sorry, I never got to meet her. Mm, Yes. Well, thank you so much, Katie. I'm delighted to talk about my mother because I would love to share her way of being. I think the world would be a kinder place if more people could live like her. And that's it this week for Our Mothers Ourselves. Our theme song was composed and performed by Andrea Perry, and our artist-in-residence is Paula Mangin. I'm Katie Hafner, and I'm your host. Have a great week, and stay safe. Oh, Mama, will I ever get to be like you? Tell me, tell me, Mama, what?